Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical lead or a practice manager and your primary care network to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to deliver some of your projects and network-based services, I would absolutely love to help you. So come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Now let's jump into this week's episode. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this episode, I am interviewing the award-winning Shamina Rabi. Shamina is a leading speech and language therapy based in the UK, and she is the founder and CEO of Unlocking Language, which provides speech therapy to children and adults in London. And now due to COVID, they are working internationally online. So in this episode, we had a discussion around the perception of private business and NHS business and how sometimes Shamina feels, well, whilst it's better now, that there is there is a divide and that sometimes people view those of a private practice as just after the money. So that was a really interesting conversation. We talked a little bit about innovation and how Shamina's dream is to bring artificial intelligence into the world of speech and language because with children spending so much time on their devices, maybe that there is a role for AI to support children's speech and language and development moving forwards. Shamina also gives us some really practical tips on how she calls it to speak heroically online. And it's really simple when you hear the tips, but you're like, if you're not doing them already, you will find tremendous value in them. And it's made me, as I'm talking now, I need to sit up straighter because it helps project my voice a little bit more. She talks about the power of speaking slowly. And I think all of us fall into that trap of just wanting to speak as quickly and get it over and done with. So it was really, really helpful, practical advice. And for those of you that don't operate in the niche of speech and language and have never commissioned a service like that before, it was just really, really interesting, the types of people and the conditions that she supports. We also spoke about leadership and that how sometimes being a CEO, it can be quite lonely. We talked about the importance of having a coach and a mastermind and a mastermind is a group of people coming together to support each other through business or through their professional careers. And I also spoke to Shamina about what collaboration looks like between Unlocking Language and the NHS and also posed her a question about investment because Shamina wants to grow. Um, I loved it. And it's a sign of a good interview once you stop recording. What if we spoke for like another half an hour and in the end, we're like, we've got to go. We've got to go. Super down to earth. Really, really successful. Really humble. You know, her team is 25. And while she says that's a small team, as a business owner myself, being responsible for 25 people and making sure that they're happy and you've got the professional development in place 
uh, and just the logistics and the back office and the HR and the finance, you know, that is no small feat. So at the end of this interview, I did acknowledge her for that. And I think, and I have learned this lesson myself, we need to stop saying just and downplaying our successes because Shamina is one successful lady. Hope that you enjoy it and I'll see you in the next episode. Hi, Shamina. Thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Hi, Tara. I'm well, thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me on this. It's great to be part of this brilliant podcast series. How are you doing? My, yeah, I'm really good. We were just having, um, sometimes, I'm just sharing with my listeners, sometimes I prepare questions in advance and Shamina had done her homework and she'd prepared all of them and then we had a different discussion and I said, you know what, I'm not going to ask you any of those questions. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I was like, just thinking, what's she going to ask me? Shamina, could you just introduce yourself to our listeners, what you do and your career to date? Sure. So I'm Shamina. I'm a speech and language therapist. That means I work with children and adults who have difficulties with their ability to communicate or they might have difficulties with their eating, drinking and swallowing. I've been a speech and language therapist for 17 years now. I'm a consultant speech therapist at the moment um, and I founded my own private practice seven years ago called Unlocking Language. I went into speech therapy because I'm a firm believer in communication being a basic human right. Communication is an essential part of what it is to be human. And without it, our quality of life is greatly diminished. Being able to communicate successfully is critical for our dignity, our happiness and development. And the reason I do this job is because I love to go on that transformational journey with our clients and see them develop and progress with their communication. So how big is Unlocking Language? It's a small gem in the, uh, in the ocean. At this point, we are 25 therapists on the team. We have a fantastic clinic that we were running daily pre-pandemic in Canary Wharf and a head office. We also have interns. We take on speech therapy students. And we also have subcontractors and a large administrative team. But when we started 2013, it was just me in my bedroom. <laughs> so that's not just... A drop in the ocean or a gem in the ocean that is that is a huge operation tell me what is your day what do, what have you been doing today okay so it's a bit strange because pre-pandemic I think there was more routine in this new normal it's a bit chaotic I'm at home I'm, I'm running the business I've got the children here as well so I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and I've got the husband here as well So I've started the day. Um, I wake up early before the kids do so I can at least get through a few important things. I'm sure you've heard this from other sort of business leaders and entrepreneurs, but it's quite nice to have that that early morning time just to get through your to-do list, um, particularly things like emails, sending out any important um, team messages, um, and then just planning my day. Once I've done that, I then go and I I get the kids ready and thanks to the wonderful online, I've been able to keep them occupied with some sort of um, group activities and tutoring activities. So that, that gives me a bit more time. And then in between that, I'm on the phone. I arrange video conferencing meetings. Today I'm at home uh, so that I can plan for this, prepare for this podcast. It's kind of multitasking in a chaotic yet organized manner. 
if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense to me. (laughs) So for our listeners that don't operate in this niche, tell me about some of your clients. Why do people typically come to you? Every client that comes to us comes with their own story and has gone through their own personal journey. Our role at Unlocking Language is to use that information and personalise their experience, facilitate that transformation that our clients go through with their communication. It's quite an empowering process. At Unlocking Language, we're very client-based. We're not confined to restricted policies because we're independent. So I suppose the benefits of being in private practice is that we can make decisions quickly, we have access to resources, we can deliver fast and convenient access to speech therapy so we can offer appointments within 24 hours. Pre-pandemic it would be at the clinic for anyone in London but in the new norm I can offer appointments within 24 hours to anyone across the world. Um, And I think we have a very high reputation for quality treatment and lasting results because our philosophy is that we, we want to be innovative uh, with the way we deliver therapy and that we maximise the therapist and client interaction time so that we can achieve better KPIs. So I've got three children. Why would I come to a speech therapist and not another, a different sort of professional? Help me understand. So I know like I've had some of my friends there, children have had a tongue tie. So would you mm-hmm. come to a speech and language therapist because of that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll split it into two services. We've got the service for children. If a child has difficulties with communicating, for example, they may have a language delay. So we might have a two-year-old that only has a handful of words, is not really following instructions, can't sit and attend to mum or dad reading a book. They may be showing signs of a language delay. You may have children with speech difficulties. So that's normally speech sounds. So that's when you have difficulties with pronouncing certain sounds, putting the sounds together in a word. So instead of saying pen, the child might say pe or be, a completely different approximation. And then just going back to language delays, I wanted to add that children who have language delays, whether they're young or older, it's often because they've got difficulties with either understanding language or using language. So using language is putting the words together, forming the sentences, following instructions. And then relating back to the tongue tie, tongue tie would impact on the child's ability to produce the right speech sounds. So the tongue is quite restricted. So it wouldn't be able to touch the top of the mouth when we say the sound t. It would also impact on their eating and drinking and feeding skills. If they're a baby, it would impact on breastfeeding and bottle feeding. So we would work with children who have physical disabilities or who don't have any physical disabilities, but their communication is impacted. So just very quickly, other conditions, for example, might include Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, a general global developmental delay and autism. And then in terms of adults, adults who come to see speech and language therapists, these could be clients that have had a neurological condition such as a stroke or a brain injury um, or Parkinson's disease and that's affected either their language or their speech or their swallowing Um, and because we're based in Canary Wharf we also offer a corporate service where we work on general communication skills so enunciation, clarity of speech, voice projection and then lastly with adults there is stammering and then just general voice difficulties. That's really helpful. Thank you. And how we first connected was one of the things, so I'm going to share what I shared with you offline, is that we were part of a panel discussion 
and somebody invited you to a meeting and you said, is, is that okay? Are you sure? Is it okay for me to come? Because I've, I've got, I'm a private business. And I think the guy was like, yeah, of course. And I just thought that was really interesting. We hadn't spoken, but I just thought, why have you questioned whether you should come to a meeting when you've been invited by the facilitator because you are a private business? And obviously I host the business of healthcare, whether <laughs> people are in a private practice or whether they are in operating in the NHS, I see it as a business. I think if you've got income and expenditure, whether you are a charity, whether you are private, whether you've got investment banking, whether you're a practice, whether you're a dentist, to me, it's a business and that is perfectly okay. What were you thinking when you said, well, should I come? So and unfortunately, there is a negative stigma attached to private practice. It often feels like it's private practice versus the NHS when actually what it should be is collaborative working. That's, that's the vision. When I left the NHS seven years ago, when I started Unlocking Language, it almost became... Right, I've gone into private work because I want to earn more money. It's all about the money. But actually, it, it wasn't about that. It was unfortunate because posts were frozen in the NHS. There was no career progression. Uh, resources were tight where I was. And so um, it was more of a consultancy service rather than a needs-based service. And it's not like that everywhere, but it's like that, unfortunately, in, in a lot of places. And so I decided to go into private practice because I wanted to eliminate some of those issues. What I found then was that I was almost put into a different category of, oh, okay, you're, you're private. So you're, you're, about, you're, you're almost about the money. And then there's a, there's a negative stigma attached in a, ter in a way that it's a business and it's not really health focused. But what I find really interesting now is that the NHS is seen like a business. I completely agree with you. I think everything is a business. You've got staff, you're a business. You're, you've got an executive board, you're a business. And so when I was asked to attend the meeting, I, I was concerned that perhaps my views would not be as valued as other allied health professionals that are coming from the NHS. And so they, you know, th th there would be similar problems and similar positive things that they would all discuss and barriers that they could discuss. And perhaps because I'm coming from the private sector, my barriers and my solutions and my challenges would be quite different. Um, and it is a different way of working. And in those podcasts and in the meetings that we've met on Tara, I talked about a different recruitment process. I talked about a different way of looking at diversity in workforces. And as I've said before, when you are an independent practice, you're not confined. You have more flexibility to try things. And if it doesn't work, hey-ho, that's fine. You know, failure is a learning process. We move on to the next thing. I've also found that during recruitment over the last seven years, I'll often have newly qualified therapists say to me, oh, but we've been told that we should start off in the NHS because in the private practice, you're left all by yourself. No, that's not true at all. Actually, in private practice, you've got great opportunities to learn. You get to see your clients day in and day out. The supervision, support and structure is exactly the same, if not better than some other trusts. So yeah, there's, there's a real negative stigma. And I, I really think it's related to two things. One, that people perceive it as having a poor infrastructure, poor clinical governance. And two, that the focus is just on, on earning. Yes, that's important, but, but so are all the other parameters. That's so interesting. And you asked me whether I, if I had 
received negative kind of feedback or a sense from being a private project manager and I don't I don't some people do question uh, the price you know like Mm. I'm cheaper than an employee because I'm not there for a long amount of time I was gonna say in the long run in the short term I'm not gonna be with you for years I'm there I will deliver the project I have to deliver the project because otherwise I have a terrible business (laughs) so I'm more invested in delivering and leaving on a good note I think Every now and again, people question the price, but nobody ever says to me, oh, but you're private. No. It's, in- it's interesting because I feel it's also related, as I said, to sort of the, the, the governance around it. Mm. So I think when people see private, they think, okay, small clinical director, few therapists, there's no other layers. Whereas when you look at a larger trust, there's many, many layers and many departments running things. But as a business leader, you know, I'm I'm running the invoices with my accountant. I'm putting the policies together with our operations director. Yes, there are a small number, but we work equally as hard and we have to, we have to outsource a lot of work um, as a business so that we have, you know, rigorous policies and, and, and guidelines in place. I think it's the perception of a small business versus a large, a large trust. It's getting better. It's definitely getting better. But I still think we have a have a, a long way to go for private stroke independent and the NHS to collaborate rather than to to be against each other. So also when we met, so we are, and my listeners will be like. I've got a group of people that have been invited onto my podcast because I was part of a panel and I've kind of gone to that panel like we come on the podcast, you come on the podcast. So we were part of a discussion around equality and diversity and racism. And what have you experienced any overt racism in building your business? So the answer is no. I feel I've had a fairly positive career, both in the NHS as a speech therapist and in building Unlocking Language. It's been challenging at times, but I think the challenge has been being a female as opposed to being from a black and minority ethnic, uh, ethnic um, background. In my community, which is the British Bangladeshi community, many business leaders are men and many of the businesses are restaurants and very mainstream businesses and speech therapy is very niche unless you've come across it you're not really going to going to know what it is so I feel I've had to fight my corner within my own community about my business and how vital it is and how important it is rather than having to I've actually found white people to be allies with building my business because they have an understanding of niche businesses. They have an understanding of being an entrepreneur. And there's, I think there's a lot more support with female entrepreneurship just in general, whether you're from a BAME background or not. What I did find more challenging, I think, was in my initial few years of my career as a speech therapist. So I think when you're building a business, I don't know if you feel this, but it's more lonelier. Because, you know, you're, you're up there and you've got this almost like a bit of an empire of your, you know, your staff and your contracts and everything, but you're kind of at the top on your own. But when you're in the first initial years of my career as a speech therapist, I did get some indirect, uh, I don't know whether I'd call it racism, but I would feel uncomfortable. So a comment might have been made about the way I spoke, about my dialect from East London, from the way I... <laughs> Yes. Sorry, I'm laughing. I'm like, I don't get it. 
So um, it's it's interesting because um, I was working in a very a very suburban area in uh, in London. You know, I'm from East London. I was just in my early twenties, so I was used to saying certain words that you do in East London, like "oh man" and um, you know "in it," which is part of our our, yeah. our language in East London. The speech therapists, yeah, the speech therapists in the department had felt they'd never met anyone who spoke like that and <laughs> this is the way that people should be spoken to and then laughed it off it was at lunchtime and they were oh, making gosh. I just knew they were making a dig but I didn't know what to do so I laughed it off and being in my sort of first or second job I just thought okay I'm gonna have to change the way I speak to work in this place because I didn't have the resilience back then that I do now I didn't have the confidence I probably had you know, a lot of imposter syndrome back in my early 20s. So I felt there was a lot of subtle racism and remarks that were made, but I've never had anything directly, not in my career. That's, that's really good to hear. So you are a, I don't like the, I use the acronym, I don't like the acronym. I know. You are a BAME Women's Ambassador for Asian Women at Lloyds Bank. What does that role mean? Okay, so it's a scheme that is called the um, Women of the Future. And the idea is that we connect with the younger generation, females who are from black and ethnic minorities. And we meet them at, you know, wonderful events where we sort of, you know, provide some mentorship. The mentorship can be more direct. So we're mentoring somebody more regularly, or it could be at these events where we're um, doing icebreakers and just talking to young people, usually between the ages of 16 to 18 uh, or 14 to 18, who are sort of thinking about their life choices. To me, it's really important because I want to create and widen the level and breadth of role models that Black and Asian women have to look up to. I don't know if you found this, but when I was growing up, there were only a few role models and they were the ones that were acceptable. And unfortunately, hats off to these professions. I think they're great, but it was either the lawyer, the accountant or the doctor or you won the other spectrum where it was a very low paid paid job. There was sort of nothing in between to aspire for or aspire to. And that's why I think there are a lack of black and ethnic minorities in speech therapy and other allied health professionals because actually people don't know about it. And um, so this is really important to me because it involves taking on women like myself, you know, who are fairly, fairly successful from different professions and different sectors and highlighting what we do. And I feel this will help to create a range of role models that the young people can look up to and think about, oh, yeah, I want to know more about that career. Or so, for example, for me, it's all about speech therapy and then being a health entrepreneur and then owning a business. There's different things that I can I can offer. And I'm really passionate about encouraging females to strive for more and build strong female communities who can support the ambassador and the ambassador programs allow a program allows us to do that for the next generation of female talent and and really importantly increases accessibility of expertise to help these young girls make more informed decisions about their careers and um, so it's quite an honor to be, be part of the scheme yeah it sounds it so Another thing that I wanted to, so I wanted to pick up, you said it, sometimes it can be quite lonely. Have you ever had any periods where you just thought, screw it, I don't want to do this anymore? I have thought it, 
but I can't do it because I have um, I have staff. I think if it was just me, I don't know. I, I, I could, I, you know, I, I may have just said, right, I'm, I'm leaving and I'm doing something else completely different. But, you know, when you have employees, I don't think of just 25 therapists. I think I've got 25 families, you know, that they're earning, feed their families. It is hard. I think people often find businesses and business owners as glamorous they live they live in this this glamorous life they're entrepreneurs because it's such a it's such a glamorous name isn't it we're an entre- we're entrepreneurs it's lonely you know who do you talk to about your problems when you've got invoices that haven't been paid and that is a huge issue in businesses clients never pay on time we've got to make sure there's x amount of money every fourth of the month to pay all our staff We've got to start thinking about next year's strategy right at the start. So if, you know, two years in advance, because we want to scale up, we want to grow, we want to retain our staff. You know, as any other business, we will lose contracts and we have lost some contracts, not because of our delivery, but it's been circumstantial. For example, um, a school hasn't um, done done that well generally and they've had to cut back on their budgets. And so we've had to, uh, you know, we would have lost a, a contract there. So it, it is a it is a difficult place and you can't have that conversation with your team because as a leader you want to coach them and support them and keep that vision uh, vision going i'm very thankful that my husband is now fully involved in our business because we're we're continuing to scale it and so i can have these conversations with him but i still stay awake at night sometimes thinking about many things i'm sure you do too i do have you heard of a mastermind so I was listening to your podcasts and I've, I now know about the mastermind because I hadn't heard about it before. For those people that don't know what a mastermind is, it's a group of, I say professionals, a group of people coming together, in my instance, in the field of business. It can be as diverse as they like, or you can, I've got two. So I've got one that is not that active at the moment, but we're all in the field of healthcare, which is really, is, is quite nice. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not quite nice. It's really nice. And I also have a mastermind where we meet internationally uh, using Voxer. And I've got, so Lisa has got a paper organizing business. Her podcast has just hit 8 million downloads. Wow. Huge, huge, Amazing. huge. She's called Organize 365. Shout out to Lisa Woodruff. <laughs> I've got Natalie Gingridge in there. She does, she provides online business management. Danielle Liss is a social media lawyer. I've got Carmen, who is a cardiologist and a speaker. So completely different businesses, but you know, we're talking about sales, marketing, team, mindset, confidence, marketing scaling up strategic partnerships it doesn't matter what the industry is it's irrelevant you know like it's the principles of business so what's really nice is you can come together or sometimes I speak to Lisa the most so I speak with Lisa every day she lives in Cincinnati and Lisa is I don't get it wrong she's in her 50s so she's like lives in Cincinnati like white middle class then there's like me <laughs> like we could not be more different she's like my best friend and what's really nice is I can say what about this what about that I'm thinking about this I'm having a low day and what's really nice is we just always when I'm having a low day she'll be having an up day so she'll pull me up and just vice versa and every day now I'm working from home I go for a lunch but I have my lunch with the kids and then I walk around the block and because of the time difference, I can catch up on my messages to Lisa and, and I will just, it's like a walkie talkie app called Voxer. So 
I do, it's took me a while to find my group and I'm looking for, it's nice to switch it up. You need different people in your ear. And my sister said to me, Tara, you, it's, you need constant voices saying, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? You can do this. Why are you not doing that? It's really nice. And I've got my, I had my business coach. It was last Friday. She gave me a well needed kick to say, come on, Tara, stop messing around. I'm like, I'm trying really hard. So I think that, do you have a coach? So I was going to say, Tara, you've touched on some really important points. One, the network, completely agree. You know, it sounds like you've got a great network with, um, what's it called again? Mindset. A Mind. mastermind. Mastermind. And similarly, I, I joined a, a club, a business club, just for females um, about six, seven months ago. And it's been it's been life-changing. The sounding board that you have, the critique, the positive feedback, and, and what you learn. So all the things that you mentioned about, um, you know, uh, the strategy, the negotiation, we don't learn these as clinicians. You know, I'm a clinician from the NHS. My, my, I, I did an undergrad in speech therapy. I can treat a disorder. I can assess it. I can manage it. But when I came out to start a business, I didn't even know what I was worth. And asking for money, that was such a big thing. I felt embarrassed saying, okay, this is how much you owe me for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. The confidence to be able to know your worth is so huge in business. And I think when you're with like-minded people, you get the confidence to be able to do that. And then you learn so much about things like the power of your branding um, and, and all the points that you mentioned. And I agree completely, having a coach is so important. There's having your clinical supervisor. When I, whenever I talk to speech therapists or other therapists who are interested in going into healthcare business, I always say supervisor is different to the coach or the mentor. Your supervisor is there to clinically support you and you grow within your role as the therapist. But actually that business coach or that business mentor is so important in terms of thinking about five years, thinking about exiting your business in 25 years, thinking about your strategy for the next two years. The, the long-term vision is so important when you're running a business, not just the day-to-day. -day. That's the only way that you can, you know, have a great value proposition, have great revenue, have a, you know, have, have continuing to um, to scale up. So, yeah, I, th I think some of the points that you touched on are, are so important, including networking. I think when you're in a business it's so important to network because I mean, that's how I met you through, through yeah. you know, networking. And that's how I think um, Rachel met you through Twitter networking or something. But um, networking is so key. I think, I think it doesn't matter what industry you're but in. You know, and I was going to say whether it doesn't really matter whether you uh, run a business or you're employed, <laughs> I think the broader your network the di and the diverse, and I just mean, you know, like just difference in your yeah. network is really, really, it's just really powerful. And it just makes you think differently. You just see things in a slightly different way. Agree. And the opportunities that you can be presented with. Yeah, definitely. I listen to a mortgage podcast. My husband's a mortgage advisor and we, we both listen to the same podcast. I bring so much of that mortgage advice into my business I've got a personal trainer this the stuff that she does and how she presents it I mean it's not health she's fitness I'm a project manager but you just learn so much you can just put your put your spin on it so I definitely think I think having a diverse mastermind or pool of people that you can draw on that are gonna I think the key is they're gonna push you I'm not just going to say, oh, Shamina, you've done so well. You just sit back there and just bask in your glory. 
and it can be quite frustrating because sometimes you do just want somebody to say you've done a really good job but a good mastermind will be like well yeah that was yesterday <laughs> like you've got to keep keep going but if you get the right the right team around you you're like you can take it and you're like oh okay yeah I've celebrated, totally. I have my glass of Prosecco and now what am I going to do next? Yeah. Teamwork makes the dream work. Absolutely. Definitely, 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 definitely. So one of the things I did see about you is you'd written an article about speaking heroically and I really, really like that. I think that was written before COVID. So I did think, uh, mm. I understand what you mean. And especially when you're, even if you're on the phone and, you know, like using the power of your voice and really owning it. But how do we speak heroically online? Mm. A masterful delivery is one of the cornerstones of a great speech. So just delivery is a skill in itself, a way of communicating a message, both verbally and non-verbally, to, to win the audience's trust, their understanding of their compliance. And I think that the new digital era is, is very interesting when you think about communication. The first thing I would say is, what I would suggest is create great content, keeping in mind who your target audience is, and then you need to find a best way to deliver it. So creating your content is one aspect, and then delivering it is a different aspect. Just the basic things, as we kind of are honing in and looking at each other a lot more than we normally would if we were face-to-face in, in real life, um, good lighting, making sure your microphone is working, all the kind of techie issues, I would definitely suggest look at all of that first. Making sure you've got good internet strength because the last thing you want is to, to lose a powerful point because your screen is frozen or your voice is starting to, to stagger. So just, just keeping an eye on all the techie things that you can hopefully iron out. And then what I do is I like to call this the win over the Zoom. Think about your intonation. Think about your voice. Don't be robotic. Um, I've noticed a lot of people when they're having to, you know, they, they know what the discussion is going to be about. They write a lot of points on their Word document and then they're reading it as they are on the Zoom meeting. And that makes you sound quite robotic. There's almost no emotion no feeling so thinking about how you project your voice as well um, I would advise having a look at diaphragmatic breathing so there's some brilliant videos on YouTube that teach you how to sort of use your breath from your diaphragm rather than from your throat and that helps you to project your voice better and pauses and silences we're all quite scared of those but in fact those are very powerful and they also help to improve your overall clarity and something that I've done and I often tell my corporate clients is to listen to public speeches from your favorite orators you know think about what makes them click with their audience it's mostly about leaving appropriate pauses saying meaningful things that touch the audience and then speaking at a pace that allows the listener allows the listener's mind to properly process the information they're receiving so people like Martin Luther King Winston Churchill more recently Michelle Obama Karen Brady and last I love Karen Brady oh, me too me yeah, too yeah she's so inspirational and then lastly I always think about, it's, I think it's important to raise your voice, not to shout, but to raise your voice and speak slowly. If you want to command others as, as a leader, then we have to have a commanding voice. Speak from your diaphragm, not your voice box. So that's where the diaphragmatic breathing is, quick, uh, is important because that deepens your voice. And 
when you slow down, as I am now, you're naturally starting to articulate all the sounds in your words, and that really helps you to get the right speed. And this way of speaking creates a more powerful and a more booming tone and a steadier pace that others will respect and understand. And it, it just sounds a lot more powerful. I've just naturally slowed down as I've spoken to you about it. <laughs> Do you know what? I was smiling, so I was just thinking... I've just set up a podcast with no, <laughs> no thought whatsoever to how I sound and my voice. <laughs> I, I think you sound great. I speak fast. And interestingly, when I listen to audiobooks and mm. podcasts, I speed it up. So, and that's it's a trick. Actually, well, so I don't know if it's a trick or a tip. People say to me, "How can you read so many books?" And I'm like, "Because I listen to it on like a 1.75." And after a while, it makes you it makes you listen. You know, like because they're speaking fast, it makes you listen. Then after a while, you just get used to it. So then, when I listen to my podcast back at normal speed, I feel like I'm talking really slowly. And I just think <laughs> that must be really annoying. So. I get it. I think, I think what I have just learned is we all have our own personal preferences, mm-hmm. uh, but just because I like to listen to fast talking, it doesn't mean my audience does. And I purposely speed up because I don't want to take people's time. I just want to deliver the message, get in and get out. And your content is absolutely super. And I think your delivery is great as well. But um, yeah, I I think maybe after the podcast, think about who you admire in terms of communication and have a look at their speeches and pick up one or two tricks that they use when they communicate. And I forgot to mention, actually, I think what's super important, and I don't think we're all thinking about this, is, is our posture at the moment, because we're all at home in front of the laptop, you know, naturally a little bit lax with our back, but actually having really good posture is important for communication. It allows you to have that really good diaphragmatic breathing, allows you to project your voice well. Um, and then again, you know, when you've got good posture, there's just a psychological effect of feeling more sort of powerful and more confident. And I've just um, got my back up now while we're talking. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> That's really like thank you. That's really really helpful. So you mentioned scaling up a few times. What does scaling up look like at Unlocking Language? I would love to make speech therapy more accessible all over the UK. I think the issue is that speech therapy in general is it has very tight resources and tight budgets, and I think if we can work collaboratively with the wonderful NHS. I, that's my vision. I, would, I want to work, I want Unlocking Language and, and, and local trusts to work collaboratively together where we can help, you know, clear caseloads or we can go work on a brief. And we've done that in some places, but I think better collaboration so that we can really make speech therapy affordable and accessible to the community. And then also in terms of the, the business dream and the business vision. I would like to see Unlocking Language have dotted clinics around the UK. And I suppose now with Zoom, with telehealth and teletherapy, video conferencing, we could probably, well, well we are, we start to see clients from all over the world. So I think that's, that we're one step closer to that vision. And can I tell you a secret? I, it's on our strategy, but we're not there yet. I want to bring virtual reality into speech therapy there is some work going on we've had a massive increase of 
children between the age of ages of one and three coming in with delayed language skills. And it's mainly because they're on the screen for sort of eight or nine hours a day. You know, those opportunities for kids, we all grew up having lots of conversation, but unfortunately, as wonderful as technology is, the, the downside to it is we're all too reliant on the screen, the phone, the TV, the laptops, the iPads, and children aren't being exposed to the amount of language that we were when we were growing up. And although therapy is all about speaking to your child and, you know, using conversation, I just wonder whether we can bring virtual reality in it. You know, for example, when we're working on animals, farm animals and increasing vocabulary, why can't we have our glasses on and go through a farm with virtual reality as opposed to you know, going to the local farm? So I'm just wondering if there's something that we can, we can do with that. That's the dream, but let's see. <laughs> so... Where you said you would like to have clinics and potentially your AI dream, if an investor was listening to this and was like, I really like the sound of that, as somebody that owns 100% of their business, would you be interested in investment and giving up a share to grow? A silent angel investor, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Where you said it'd be really nice to partner with the NHS. Do you really mean collaboration or do you just mean they commission your services and you deliver? I really want to collaborate. I want to have the associate director of children's services on the same table as myself and the clinical lead, speech and language therapist. And I want us to look at our demands and capacity of the local borough and what we can do together in terms of interventions and assessment and how it would benefit both of us. So yeah, definitely collaboration. Okay. So I've got some more, some quick fire questions. These are just a little bit of fun. Okay. Yeah. If you could only have three apps on your phone, what would they be? Instagram. (laughs) Slack. Okay. What is a mistake people often make about you? Okay. I know it's fire quick, but, um, um, Oh, they think I'm weak because I'm under five foot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How do you get in the way of your own success? I don't want to say it, but unfortunately at times I can be a control freak. Not with my team, just with my own own work and myself. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. If you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Invisibility. And what book have you read recently that you would recommend and why? I always read this book every year and the reason I read it is because it's got very clear actions. It's quite old and a bit predictable but I read it every year, How to Win Friends and Influence People because it has very clear action advice and I think most people have probably read it. Yeah, excellent. Shereena, if people want to find out more about Unlocking Language, where can they find you? So we have a website, www.unlockinglanguage.co.uk. That's got all our details, all our social media pages. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Unlocking Language. And on there are our details to email or to give me a call. And I just want to say, and I know that you're not going to accept this, but your business is, is really impressive and you should be really, really proud. She's award winning, folks. And I think that you should own it a little bit more because 25 people big back office winning contracts losing contracts going online 
you're doing all of the work in the diversity field. So you should act more prouder, young lady. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Tara. I absolutely love being on here. Thank you. so much for joining us and if you like what you hear it would be great if you could give us a shout out on social media you can find me on twitter at thc primary care on instagram again at thc primary care or on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you really like it it would be great if you left us an itunes a five-star rating and review and i will see you in the next episode <laughs>